Welcome back to the Adam Schefter Podcast. It's Combine Week, and to get you ready for Combine Week, we will be joined by the new head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, somebody that I have known for a long time. Our relationship dates back quite a ways, and I remember him as the ball boy for the Denver Broncos team that I used to cover for the Rocky Mountain News and Denver Post. We go back and look at his career path from there to here to now being in charge of an NFL franchise. And then we'll be joined by the former general manager of the Minnesota Vikings, Rick Spielman, who now is appearing on a series of podcasts, doing some media work and getting used to his new life in Florida, away from Minnesota. He'll share his thoughts on some of his Minnesota memories. And of course, in Combine Week, much of the talk will be about quarterbacks, as it always is. And before we get to Mike McDaniel and Rick Spielman, first wanted to point out some quarterback chatter that's gone on at the Combine already this week. Isn't it interesting that the Packers general manager, Brian Gutekinds, has said that he has had no conversations with no other teams regarding a trade for Aaron Rodgers? And for those who say, well, that must mean he's going back to Green Bay, being that there's been no trade talks, I would also tell you this. There are people in the organization, players, coaches, others, that haven't had any contact with Aaron Rodgers, that have no idea what he's going to do. And so while I think some people across the league think that he's more likely to return to Green Bay than not, I can tell you that the people in and around that organization right now are wondering themselves. They do not know what's going to happen. And in fact, one source who's semi-familiar with the situation described to me over the weekend that he thought it was 50-50, whether Rodgers would return or go back to Green Bay. We'll see whether or not he's right. But I can tell you there's a lot of mystery surrounding Aaron Rodgers. There's been no trade talks, according to the Packers general manager, with any other team. And I know people have said he's talked about a contract with the Green Bay Packers. I think Aaron Rodgers has thought through contracts and what they would look like on other teams as well. So we'll wait to see what Aaron Rodgers' decision is while we wait on the other quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson. And at the Combine, the Texans general manager, Nick Casario, said, quote unquote, we're day to day in terms of handling that. So once the information becomes more relevant or prevalent, then we'll handle it accordingly. My philosophy from the beginning has always been to do the right thing by the Houston Texans. And I think the right thing for the Texans right now and the right thing for Deshaun Watson is to trade him. Now, the legal situation hangs over this. And my understanding is we could get some clarity in the next month or so. But I do believe that Deshaun Watson will be traded this offseason. He will be sent to another team. We'll see how that unfolds. We saw the unusual contract request from Kyler Murray's agent, Eric Burkhart, this week on social media, asking the Cardinals to pay him. And I've had a couple of people since then describe that situation as what they perceive to be a threat. Pay me or watch me play baseball. There are people out there who think that that could happen, that Kyler Murray once was a top pick in baseball, still has a chance to play 10 to 12 years in Major League Baseball. He could be an all-star center fielder in the eyes of some. And so by putting out the pay me threat now, they believe that he is just setting it up that if he's not paid, that he can go play baseball if that's what he wants. Now, we'll see whether that's right. But that thought came to me. That idea came to me from two different people this week after the social media post from Eric Burkhart about Kyler wanting a new contract. So that'll be something to watch, whether Kyler gets paid or whether he has any interest in going to play baseball. Then the 49ers quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, is going to soon have shoulder surgery. Now, by the time you hear this, he may already have had shoulder surgery. That's going to knock him out until right before the July 4th holiday. Now, my understanding is there is still, quote, unquote, significant interest in trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. I had said last week that it was not a lock that he would be traded, but I do think he will be, ultimately. I think there's too much interest, a shortage of quarterbacks, and I think the 49ers need the cap space and will get enough back for him that I do think 
Jimmy Garoppolo will be traded in the next month, despite the fact that he is undergoing shoulder surgery and will be sidelined for months. Now, once the team trades for him, he can go work with that organization, watch how they run their offense, work with their medical staff to try to come back sooner. But I do think that we're looking at a Garoppolo trade here, despite the surgery in the next month. And the last quarterback that I think people wonder about, Russell Wilson, Seahawks quarterback. Now, at this time last year, his agent, Mark Rogers, had spelled out four teams that Russell would have welcomed a trade to. There really has not been, so far, much Russell Wilson trade talk. That doesn't mean that other teams haven't inquired. I think they have. I think more will. But Seattle has been very hesitant to trade Russell. I would think it will continue to be hesitant to trade Russell. And then even if the Seahawks could agree on a price with another team for Russell Wilson, let's keep in mind that he's got a no trade clause. So he could veto a trade to any team that he didn't want to go to. But as it is, if he remains in Seattle, I mean, there's a real chance that the Seahawks are going to be a last place team in that division right now. 49ers seem to be pretty good. The Rams are the defending Super Bowl champs. Cardinals made the playoffs last year. The Seahawks are always competitive, so it's hard to just say that they would might be the last place team, but Russell Wilson obviously would be facing a tough situation in that division. Don't know that it will change his stance on being open to a trade anywhere else, but that would be another quarterback to track here, though Seattle has shown no inclination so far to date as we tape this on Monday midday to trade Russell Wilson. And so that leaves us moving on to the combine, and that leaves us Moving on to this week's guest, the former 49ers offensive coordinator, Mike McDaniel, who essentially has followed around Kyle Shanahan, has been with him in various places like Cleveland, Atlanta, San Francisco, now has a team all his own. He has been hired as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And selfishly, personally, for me, it's been fun to watch Mike McDaniel grow from former Denver Broncos ball boy into the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Well, look who it is. If it isn't Mike McDaniel, how are we doing, my friend? Good. We got clouds in the background. Yeah, I see. Yeah. But there, there are no clouds in your life these days. I mean, no clouds, Mike. That's No, the, the, that's the misnomer. Um, there's clouds every day, and you embrace the clouds. <laughs> I thought it was just blue skies, Mike. No, it's it's all about the perspective. You need the clouds to enjoy the sunshine. Oh, that's very – I like that. I like that's very deep and very meaningful. <laughs> um, it's more surface level. It, it, it kind of <laughs> – it fell, it fell into deep, possibly. How are we doing, all right? Um, great, great. It's uh, I'm, I'm uh, humbled and honored – that you're going to spend your time. I don't know. Are you in a basement? No, I'm, I'm in my office, my home office. Yeah. You, you, you like, I could give you a little tour if you want. Oh, did like you, you see. Is that, is that your picking of wallpaper? Actually, you know, the wallpaper was up well before I even made this, like my little ESPN office, my wife put it up and she thinks it's dated and it needs to be kind of overhauled. And maybe we'll do that at some point in time, but you and her sound like you're on the same page. Hey, right I didn't now. mean to bring up a sore subject. Uh, you know, <laughs> I was just, it was observation for observation's sake, if you, you will. You know, one of, one of my friends, right before you called, one of my college buddies just called me. He said, hey, you're still doing a renovation in your house? And I said, if you knew my wife, you could call me 30 years from now, and we would be doing a renovation then because we're always doing something to the house. Or, or let me be more let me be more accurate. She's always doing something. Yeah, no, well, she's always, try, you know. She's always trying to get better. You either get better or you get worse. So she's always trying to get better. Yeah. But sometimes it makes my life worse, Mike. <laughs> that's that's sort of how it goes. Luckily, she doesn't listen to your show, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think she does. But maybe uh-huh. somebody will bring it to her attention. So I haven't had the chance to officially, in person, congratulate you on becoming a head coach. Well, thank you. Outstanding. No, it, we've known each other for a long time and... It's a it's a cool thing to hear you say, and so I appreciate that. You know, I was thinking about this: how many great people we were around in your childhood when when you looked like this back in the day. Oh, seen, yeah. have, have you seen this picture? Oh yeah, it's, it's been brought to your attention. It has. Like, that's how I remember Mike McDaniel: the double hoop earrings. You know, you look like a child actor. You know, a guy that's going to go to rave parties. Guy nice. That really. Right. All that stuff. Right. Like, I didn't know that that guy was 
going to go on to Yale and become the successful assistant coach and wind up as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins? Well, I'm not sure if that guy um, knew much about the future, hence the hoop earrings that were probably $15 at, at a local Claire's. What would, what, would that, what would that guy have said if I had walked over to you back in the day when we were in Greeley, Colorado, mm. or in Dove Valley, and said to you, Mike, one day you will wind up as a head coach in the NFL with the Miami Dolphins. What would have been your reaction back then? Back then? Yeah. Um, the hoop earrings kid would have said, <laughs> yeah, I know. He, he didn't know how, uh, you know, he was all ambition, no reality at that point. Um, you know, there's uh, the, I, he probably would have thought it would have happened faster, but uh, the, yeah, that was the, the pump up, you know, that, um, that, you know, my, my mom gave me growing up and uh, I thought I was invincible. And luckily life gave me some, some humility um, with real experiences that, um, so I bet, you know, he was a, he hadn't, he hadn't left Colorado yet. Um, Freshman year of college was um, an eye-opening experience. Uh, I I definitely, um, you know, looking back on it, I think I thought I was the man as a, as a junior or senior. And then quickly found out I was not the man as a freshman at Yale and I had a lot to learn. So, um, yeah, that he probably w- wouldn't have batted an eye. Um, so, uh, whatever that means. Well, what, what was it about your freshman year at Yale that made you realize you weren't the man or that you had a long way to go or that gave you a dose of reality back as a freshman at Yale? Well, I mean, it, that was a wild experience. And in in uh, in it in it of itself um, <laughs> that uh, well because I just you know I wasn't very cultured um, you know the the northeast um, by itself was a whole another layer and then and you're talking about um, a lot of well round rounded talented uh, um, hardworking um, people from all over the country. And, and like, I, I, I hadn't seen much. Um, I didn't know really what prep schools were. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was a humbling experience when, you know, I was a, a freshman or being a freshman in college, you're like, you're away from home. You're like, Hey, you know, um, I would like attention from girls. And then I didn't have a double collared pop pop collar up, which was the thing then. And I was very confused and didn't know and no one really paid any attention to me. You know, when, when you're in high school and you get into Yale, you get used to that big attention um, uh, grab that you get and it, you're a big deal. And then when you're one of the masses and on top of that, you're uh, there's nothing, you're not nothing to write home about. Um, it was, it was pretty valuable. It made you, and then you don't, you don't have any people that you could, that you grew up with. You know, um, there's a lot of different styles going on, kind of made you find yourself. Um, you know, it, it was it, that whole experience, um, I think, is very valuable um, because it wasn't fun my freshman year. Um, but it really it, it it changed me for that's that's what I mean. That, that picture that you just showed was right before I went to college. And I, I was very different a year later, um, you know, figuring out, okay, what uh, I used to wear just Sean John, have hoop earrings. Um, and I was a kid maybe going some places and then you so, go in some place and then you get, get to college. You're just one of many. And you're like, wow, I still have to have merit to do something. No one really cares. Um, uh, if I think my stuff doesn't stink. Um, all of that, it was, uh, it, it was something I wouldn't trade. And I, and, you know, it's kind of like the, the rest of your life goes, you don't, um, you don't necessarily want hardship, but then once you survive or to get through it, you, you realize, Oh, uh, wow, that was super beneficial. I'm, I'm not dead. I, I survived it. I, uh, 
There was some gloomy days. The sun wasn't out. <laughs> but guess what? Yep. It's it's going to shine through at some point. So. And it did. It did. Yeah. So how does how, how does that freshman at Yale who gets beat up, who learns all that he's missing out on and learns how much he has to grow, how does that guy get on a path to begin his climb up the NFL elevator? Um, you know, you, I think, I think I really just wanted to be a part, you know, I got there and I was like a hundred, I was the lightest dude on the team. I was about 150 pounds or I think I might've weighed in 143 or something crazy. Um, wide receiver, right? Yeah. And I, I was the smallest dude on the team and, um, I didn't like, you know, I, 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 my ambition had told me I, I was better than that. And, you know, I'd learned at a young age that um, the power of uh, will and kind of fearlessness where sometimes you can get the best out of yourself if you just just go after something. And even if you don't achieve exactly what you think you're trying to achieve, you get the best out of yourself. So I end up like working out like crazy. I had there was a. Uh, our strength coach was named Steven Plisk and he had uh, some drink that had like 10,000 calories and we called it Plis- Pliskade. Uh, and I would drink that. I, I would drink protein shakes with um, like right before I'd go to sleep because I understood the science and my metabolism was out of control. So, and then worked out like twice a day and I got up, I gained like 20 pounds by the time it was April and um, started to get a, a a little more footing on the football team a little bit and definitely earned some respect, found some friends. Um, and then that whole process that, that Mike microcosm of, um, senior year of high school to, um, freshman year of college to sophomore year kind of reoccurred over and over for the rest of my career where, um, you feel good. Things are, things are looking promising. Oh, wow. You just got humbled. Okay. You got to climb back up. Okay. Things are getting good again. Oh, you got comfortable. Oh, you're back down, you know? And, um, I think that it's kind of le- the lessons you learn. W- one of the reasons I like football so much, that's the lesson you learn every game, every, every series, like, Oh man, it's first and 10. We just crushed it on, on a nine yard run. Second one. Oh, TFL it's third and four. Okay, we um, threw a pick, but there was a DPI. So we just like, you know, like um, it's I wouldn't say it's one thing. I think it's the same thing happening over and over and just kind of learning that um, blips are okay. You can use them um, towards your advantage um, and that and that tough mindedness of not. The one thing I won't ever do is say that I'm not strong enough to handle something. That, that my competitiveness really comes out there. So um, if, if something happens, my mind immediately goes to all those things. And you're like, you know what? If anybody can handle this, I can. I'm tough enough. And, you know, that's the story. It's not any great thing or it's not all roses. But your story, your life story unfolds before yourself every Sunday. You get to watch your life story unfold every Sunday in a three hour time window, right? The Rise up, the setbacks, the comebacks, the games become microcosms of life. And then, and then there's then there's an outcome, and you you can feel a certain way for a couple hours, but then all of it doesn't matter because there's another game. Just kind of like you know, um, I can feel great about um, becoming a head coach, but is that my goal? Is just to become one? No. Um, Everyone wants to congratulate me. That's cool. Um, but then guess what? There will be hardships that uh, I have to hold myself and everyone will hold me accountable for. Um, but what life has taught me is that I'm tough enough that that's where that's where people can really thrive is if you can push through adversity. And, you know, that's my plan. So what is the goal now that you're a head coach and now that you don't really care too much about the congratulations that me and others have offered you and you're settled into the office chair with the clouds in the background and the clouds of life? What is the goal 
as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Mike. I mean, Adam, you want to get introspective? We we can yeah. go there. Oh yeah, absolutely. What's interesting is, um, I I think I could have forecasted this, but to it's to try to put it into words. Immediately, when when I got got here to Miami, and now I am the head coach. There's a lot of I in your in your story where you're like, I want to get to this point right and then you're thinking goal orientation is through okay your career progression or whatever and then you get here and then it it was really fast really smooth just a a complete transition where you're like oh wow um my job uh is to i've said it to a ton of people within the building my job is to serve everyone else you're the head coach now but really all that anoints you is some some power to to help everyone else in the building and the organization the fan base so it's like a quick transition where now now my goals are to to best you know i'm awarded you know some authority and really, what is that authority for? It's to empower all the other people that you work with so they can do their job the best, whether it's player, coach, or staff member, it doesn't matter. And then everyone working together, you can achieve a common goal. So the, the transfer is, was weird. I could, I kind of thought it in that scope, but living it, it it's it, the, the goals have nothing to do with myself really anymore which is interesting, but very true. But in a way, isn't, hasn't your job always been to serve others in whatever job you've done, even though it wasn't as a head coach? Yeah, it's just, I guess there's, the, it, it is, truly, because you, to do your job well, then things progress. It's when there's a fu- finality, like, oh, you think about this when you're 18, I want to be a head coach. Then you get to that spot, Right. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, you're not thinking about, yeah, it's always the task at hand. It's the pride in what you're doing and not thinking about the next step that gets you the next step. It's irony at its finest, which is what life is full of. Well, then once you get to that step that you've been chasing, now it's just exclusively all the time. Oh, well, you're working this whole time to be able to make a difference and a broader scope um, to take all these years and life lessons, stuff that I was learning um, when I was behind the rope, watching you in front of the rope, um, whether it was the, I mean, I'm the guy that knows Rocky Mountain News and Denver Post. Damn, you know, th- that's unbelievable, right? Yeah. That's that's incredible. I have a vivid memory in Greeley, Colorado. I don't know how old I was, but I remember like, what, it was the Rocky Mountain News that was, yeah. The, the midfold, like a book. That's right. And I just remember, I remember like um, maybe it was the Anthony Miller years or the uh, wow. uh, Mike Pritchard or something. But like, I remember a, a, a free agent acquisition that was firing me up. I think it was pre Mike Shanahan. And I remember opening it up and be like, oh, he knows what's up because you were the guy that was always on it. Like, <laughs> like you had the deal, you know, it was the same work ethic that, um, it's really awesome to do, see you do your job now because you've done your job the same way. Um, and w- which is kind of, I can draw a parallel in terms of, um, I've just worked hard and then. It's yeah. all the same. It's all the same, yeah. whether you're doing a coaching job or a reporting job, right? You've always done that. I've done that. And here we are meeting up again with loftier titles and larger stakes. We're having a conversation and there's some person somewhere, at least one that's listening to it for their, for their enjoyment. Well, at least one, at least one, there's many of them. You're, you're <laughs> a big deal. I don't know about that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I don't know about it. You, you know, I remember, I remember being at Monday Night Football and talking to you, and you said something to me about, I think you said so your wife wanted to read my book or did read my book or wanted to, and I sent you the book. That's right, with it. With an autograph signature, an autograph signature, and that was that. That would have been four or five years ago. It was so. All these things that the Denver group that you're talking about, though, those were some of your former years before you formed more at Yale. That was, that was that was good right there. No, it's true. And those those are my formative years. I tell everybody I went to Michigan. I went to Northwestern Graduate School. I got my master's from the Denver Broncos. I got my master's in football from the Broncos because yeah, to be around all those people, all those different personalities, all the things that I learned that you can and can't do for 16 years that I was there. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. And I think back to the collection of people that we were around. Yeah. Right. Christian McCaffrey's a little boy running around the football field. Mike McDaniel's a ball boy. Mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan's holding cords. Rick Smith is a quality control coach. Oh yeah. Shannon Sharp's a tight end. Mark Schlereth's an offensive lineman. Great people. No, and the way you conduct business, the way that you um, handle your your sphere and your scope currently, there's there, I've always thought there's no doubt that that was shape. There was a professionalism that was assumed required um, in that in that area. You know, Mike Shanahan when he got there was super intense, and like there there was a way to conduct business if you wanted to do business. And um, I think it's, it's interesting. You said, when, when you said masters, I was like, most definitely you, you've had a footing and um, a, a great career um, in the scope for a long time. Um, and there's a reason. Um, and on top of that, you're the, I can't, I, I sometimes think, does this dude ever sleep? This guy is, you must be attached to your, that you're always on it. Uh, when do you, when do you vacation? I've never, I have not taken a vacation in a very, very long time. Unfortunately. No, let's, let's, let's put that to print. When's the last time you've taken a vacation? I, I honestly couldn't tell you. And it's not because I don't want to, but my wife doesn't like to fly because of the fact that she lost her husband on nine 11. And we have five dogs at home. My wife is never going to put them in a kennel. And when I go on Instagram or Twitter and I see postseason people traveling around and we have common friends and they're in San Diego or Cabo or whatever it may be, right? I'm going, man, what I would give to go to one of those places for three, four, five days and and detach from my phone and step away. And I never do it. Never. But you, you don't. You like the you like the dream of it, but you have the means, but you choose not to because there's well, it, there's, there's some sort of a, like you don't want to be the guy that you don't want to have something break and then you not being if there's a responsibility maybe I don't know no but it's not that anymore it's it's not it, it's not that anymore like I think maybe that might have been it at some point yeah. but now it's really it's it's more honestly it's my wife like she's not going to go and it's unfair of me. After I've been gone every week during the year 
and you dedicate your life to this to say, okay, I know I've been gone every week and now I'm leaving again. Like, see, I'm going to go to Cabo. I'm going to go to San Diego for a few. Like I was just gone. I was just at the Super Bowl for a week. I was at the Pro Bowl for a week and I was at Monday Night Football for 17 straight weeks. It's not right to her to leave her alone. She's a type one diabetic. She's got the kids at home, you know, the five. So, so no, so I'm not going, I'm not going. That's the way it is. That's my life. That's what I chose. It's not a complaint. Would I love to go away? Like you're talking about a hundred percent. I still don't God, buy I'd it. Love that. I still don't buy it. I think you're, Why not? I think you're a workaholic at the highest level and I really respect it. Well, I appreciate you saying that, but, <laughs> but if I could get away, I would get away. And I, when I did get away, I probably would, be checking in and making <laughs> phone calls on the beach. That's true. Okay. Yep. <laughs> that, that, that I will give you. You brought up the Shanahan's. How mm-hmm. indebted are you to Mike and Kyle for the job that you have today and the road that you've traveled in the NFL? I mean, everything, literally everything. It's, it's weird to try to put words to it because how, okay. What does the house look like? If there's no foundation, mm-hmm. there's no house. I mean, where are the walls? I don't know. Like, like, I don't know. So it's that, that, that's the hardest thing to even put words to because, you know, it's opportunity for one, but it's also um, when you're learning something in those critical formative years, if you are, if you're, you know, it, it inspires me with, I mean, when I got to uh, Miami and there was existing coaches here, um, every day that there, there's a, every day that um, that I'm working with the coaching staff and the personnel department, it's a continual inspiration because I don't know. I couldn't sit here and say, "Yeah, I, I'm a, 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 maybe a talented mind," but when you look at something from a scope that's sound. And, and that's your starting point. And, and there's a, a non-negotiable is work ethic. A non-negotiable um, is uh, combing every detail and having responsibility um, for your information that you give to the players. Um, and uh, to just the dedic- dedication, the um, innovation, all that stuff. Um it's a big deal when it's when you're formulating who, what you even see a coach being. Um, I know for me, I, I, I remember seeing Mike Shanahan. It goes all the way back to this, seeing a five nine guy be a head coach. I knew that was different. I, and at the time, I'm sure there was people that said this, that, or the other because he didn't look. You know, I get I get a lot of that now and I don't even blink because for I saw that when I was like 10 or 12 or whatever. And uh, all of those things um, with with how I conduct myself every day and and my vision in football and what allows me to impact others and stuff. That's all tied to those those men that um, and and then I mean, I mean, this I think. The Dolphins might have been the first. Yeah, the Dolphins are the first people to hire me. Oh, I know you. Other than Kyle Shanahan. Yep, I that's I thought. Yep. That since Denny Green in two thousand nine. So, you know, uh, Kyle and and Mike Washington, but Kyle is the offensive coordinator. Um, So yeah, where would I be without that? Oh. You know, it's that that's what's unique about that. And it's uh, there. There'll always be a special tie. I mean, I worked 14 years with Kyle. Wow. And what's the biggest thing you learned from him? Um, again, that, that's it's hard to like say the biggest thing because it doesn't necessarily do it justice. Um, but no, it, it's kind of shaped shaped really how I view um, everything football related. So as that relates to my job, everything football related. You know, what's interesting as I think about it. And I remember talking to Mike and Kyle about their staff so long, and you're always a part of it. 
and they always had this high regard for you. But I also think back in the day, and please take this the right way, they felt like you had to grow up and mature mm-hmm. and kind of evolve into the person you are today, that there was always this tremendous talent and this great mind, but he had to be kind of reined in. Is that fair to think of? Definitely. That, Definitely. That, um, that, that, that's how I think of it back in the day. Like every time I talked to him, well, who's going with you? Oh, Bobby Turner's coming, Mike McDaniel's guy. Like, it was always the same people that they loved and trusted and respected, but they needed to see you kind of grow up and become the guy that you have. No. And, and that, that's not something that's insulting. I own that. That's, that's, that's a, a, a piece that I'm very proud of. You know, when you, when you think of it from, uh, you can, you can take the Washington staff when we're, yeah. we're all in our twenties. Right. Um, Unbelievable staff, by the way. Kyle, yep. Kyle's dad is Mike Shanahan. Um, Sean, Sean McVay's dad and grandfather, incredibly successful. Matt LaFleur's dad um, was a college coach. What I was finding out, they were saying it to me and I didn't figure it out. What, like you did grow up or whatever. And then when I'd reflect on it, I'm like, yeah, I didn't, I, I grew up with no pattern to follow. It's one of the reasons I, I am a, a unique, whatever, you know, every time people say I look different, I don't, it doesn't rattle me at all. Um, I, I've kind of, I'm proud of that because there was no, I didn't pattern myself after, after anything. Mm-hmm. In lieu of that, when you are constantly trying to set your own trend, you're going to hit some hiccups. You're going to look at things probably without the right scope or uh, per, uh, perspective. Um, you're going to render yourself vulnerable to, you know, being in hindsight dumb or childish or immature. Um, there was lessons that I had to learn as a man. And um, I didn't, it didn't bother me because that, that's part of my, that's part of my uniqueness too, my own, but you also, there's a cost and the cost is like, Hey, yeah, I, I didn't, um, there was some professionalism that I didn't model myself off after. Um, I had to go through, um, you know, just different things that in, in life to kind of shape. I, I needed that, you know, I, and I probably needed when I was 14 or I was getting hooping earrings. I, I needed a, a dad to say, what are you doing? You're not doing that. Go sit your butt in your room. You're dumb. And I, I didn't, you know, I didn't really ever, my mom empowered me, but she was also like be, you know, she wasn't trying to be my dad. And um, I was kind of like a, I had my own reins as a, as a young guy. And it took me a little while to um, figure out, you know, that adult thing. Well, we all come at it at different times and different paths. And as you're telling that, you didn't have an example, right? Like I didn't have anybody in the sports field that I looked at as an example. And I go back to the time that we were in Denver at various stages in our life. And I got to see, oh, wow. So that's how you work. That's how you succeed in this industry. That's what being a professional is. That's what this is about. Like my grandfather always wanted me to go into the family business, a five and dime type sales type business. Mm -hmm. My parents worked in the stores. Never really, it didn't interest me, but I had to learn something entirely new, all on my own from different people showing me the way. Exactly. Like the Shanahan's. No. And that, and that's, um, you know, quite honestly, it's that broad. It's that, it's that, um, intertwined, you know, um, that's why it's hard for me to like qualify like, Oh yeah, they were this, I mean, they were, they were part of everything. And I think that's one of the things in talking to Kyle and, and Mike, after I got the job, I think that was an unintended thing. I, I don't want to speak for them, but I could hear in their voice that they're like, wow, I'm feeling a sense of pride. Like, yeah, that I didn't really think about, you know, well, in a way, in a way they helped raise you. Yeah, no. And um, I mean, that was my they shepherd. They shepherd you. They shepherded, shepherd. They shepherded yeah. you along. Yeah. Shepherd. Shepherd did. They, they, they teach you that word at Yale, Mike? 
Um, you know, they taught me a lot of words. Um, <laughs> they made me read a bunch of stuff, so I'm not sure if that was there. Um, the uh, Centennial or what Cherry Creek School District. Yeah. Um, one of the two. Well, you know, I said this to your great assistant, Ann Nolan, there. Has mm-hmm. the NFL ever produced a head coach from Yale? Has, have we ever seen a head coach from Yale in the NFL? I don't know that we have. Was Dick LeBeau a head coach or? Yeah, he was. Uh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't think oh. he ever became a head coach. No, but Hall of Fame defensive back. No, I wish I had someone with access to the internet machine. Oh, um, I can't believe I said Dick LeBeau. Um, oh, Dick Duran. Dick Duran, yeah. Dick Duran. Nah. Just do a um overlap, just like a, a voiceover. And just say no. Dick Duran. Say, say it no, a few times. I'll say Dick and you'll go, Duran. 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 Dick Duran. <laughs> that's what I was I th- that's what I thought I was saying, actually, because I was picturing Dick Duran. So you thought of Dick LeBeau, and I thought of Dick Duran before you thought of Dick Duran. Dick Duran never won a suit, but he was a head coach. I feel like I was the second person, ironically, I think I was the second person from Smoky Hill High School to go to Yale. So there's a little, and guess what my high school number was? Yep, two. There is a little symmetry. Uh, the, the Miami Dolphins could shepherd me. <laughs> Let's give you a goal. Let's give you a goal, aside yeah. from serving others, to become mm-hmm. the first person from Smoky Hill, the first person from Yale to go on to coach an NFL team and lead it to a Super Bowl title. And you know what's funny? This is how deep it is. When you say that, the first, all I can think about is the Miami Dolphins fan base has not won a playoff game in 22 years. They are so loyal, what that would mean to them. That, that's where that's, I'm, I'm, there's a transition where you're just, you realize, oh, wow, there's, there's so much, so many people you can touch, and it doesn't, it doesn't even. It's not like I'm thinking, "Wow, I'd have a cool." Run. I'm like, "Wow." And let me say this for, for for any Dolphin fan who's listening to this, and I've got one close friend who's very successful, and I he's going to be listening to this. I'm not going to say anything to him. He is as diehard a Dolphin fan as I know, and when I speak to him on a Monday after his team, the team you now coach, loses, he is despondent in a basket case. And when you say what it would mean to the Miami Dolphin fan base, I think of my friend Mark, who's listening to this right now, and I think of all the other people, the joy, the joy that you could bring to his and others' lives is immeasurable, immeasurable. That isn't lost in me for a second, because I can remember as uh, just growing up, the feeling that visceral of... I mean, I remember um, when Rocket Ishmael returned to kick. I was at that game. Again, right? Against CU, and it was called back for the flag. And the I remember the moment. I remember, um, you know, the the first Super Bowl I can remember and just being in the tank with the Broncos versus the 49ers and it ruining my week. That's what you can't, and I haven't, I've made sure of, that feeling I do not lose for a second. So the responsibility, the service, that that doesn't stray from me for for an inch for a second because that I, I can remember and I know exactly, I can identify with it. And I know there's plenty of people out there that feel the same way about the dolphins. And and that and you know, um you don't know what you're able to accomplish with a, a a team. It takes so many people to do their jobs. Um, but I will say this, I know there won't be, I'll leave it. I'll leave everything out there, every ounce of mind, body, and spirit to try to make sure that I can do my part in, in leading uh, a team to, to achieve that. And, and I'll be able to sleep at night because I know I'll leave it all out there. And I think um, that's an important thing. you know what? From the ground up, the way I've been raised in the, in the game of football, um, I know that's the with everything that goes on. That's the only way um, that you can be at peace, uh, win, lose, or draw, is if you uh, leave it all out there on the field, so to speak. Well, it's an honor to have been around you, 
as you've been raised in the game of football and to watch your steps all along the way. And I will look forward to seeing the next steps in the journey, which hopefully will include some of the aforementioned accomplishments that we've talked about. I'm happy for you and I'm proud of you personally. I am too. That's that is so cool to hear. And there's a, uh, like I said, the idea of um, football through the lens of print from, from reporting, from um, covering th- that idea for us to be having this conversation yeah, it's pretty cool. because you're the, you're, you, you're the first guy. You're the, that was the standard for, I thought, how people are co- going to conduct business, which I will say, I will be at Indianapolis next week. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a lot of media members there yeah. and not everyone conducts themselves with the same in the same manner. I think there'd be a lot of people that would attest to that. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. I can only speak to how I try to do my job and uh, we've known each other a very long time. And I appreciate you taking the time today to join me uh, on this little journey that we've been on together that we'll continue to go on together. That's right. And there will be sun and clouds. (laughs) Mike, you're the man. I appreciate it. Pageant wave. Take care. (laughs) And there is Mike McDaniel, the new head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And he certainly doesn't talk or think or act like any other head coach that I know. And we are rooting for him to succeed in Miami. He obviously approaches the game in a different way. He obviously is very thoughtful and very intelligent, as you can tell. And we will be rooting for him from afar and hope that it works out well for Mike in Miami. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From Mike McDaniel to the former Minnesota Vikings general manager, Rick Spielman. Hello there, Rick. How are we doing? Doing great. So Yeah? Yeah, doing a lot of this stuff. So it's been uh, it's been fun. So what what have you found exciting about doing the media stuff, the podcastings that the podcast that you've done? The exciting thing it that I really enjoyed was like for that's why I asked you about getting prepared. I love going mm-hmm. to do all the preparation. I try to look at it differently than anyone else would look at it. I try to give a different perspective on taking you inside the room and actually what the discussions are. Uh, you know, um, the analytics side of things, uh, you know, like even the, uh, watching the, you know, I watched the, uh, Dallas Cowboys can, or was it Dallas and, uh, Sam Fran game. So the only thing I know, the one thing I noticed, and I brought up in some of these podcasts was I'm sitting there and listening, but the one thing that Kyle Shanahan did a phenomenal job at was during the fourth quarter. Uh, Garoppolo never snapped the ball with less than up until less than five seconds is when he would snap the ball, which eliminated any extra time that Dallas would have in that fourth quarter to, to get the ball back. Now you take away the incomplete pass uh, or the uh, interception that Garoppolo threw it, Dallas wouldn't had a chance and had enough time to get back in. So to me, that was a great game management standpoint because I'm watching it. The only thing I'm watching is when they're snapping a ball with how much time's left on the play clock. I thought that was fascinating. They knew that. How did you detect that trend? Like, how did you see that? When did it occur to you as you were reviewing the film of that game? I, I didn't even review the film. I was just watching, sitting there on my couch. But the one thing that I know, because some people even talked about doing some color, is I've done so many, every game that I've done, I have written what happened each play, whether it was a, a clock management decision, a, a game management decision, a player did this or that. So I did that in practices. Every day I go out and stand behind the defense and I wrote a note on every play on what I was seeing. So that way, when I went and watched the tape that I already had kind of what my 
initial reaction was and then going back and reviewing it afterwards. So I've been doing that forever. Um, you know, and I've had probably close to a hundred pages of game notes over the last 16 years, on what happened and, and how you would do it differently when you use your timeout, not use your timeout coming up with different game type scenarios and how it actually played out. And would you do it differently this way? But I've always done that with everything. I mean, I probably every year when I met with the ownership group, I probably put together, I don't want to call it a diary, but a, a 200 page booklet on every aspect of the organization. Wow. And what we did well, what we didn't do well, you know, I talked on the 33rd team with Tannenbaum uh, yesterday on mental health and how we handled all the mental health and how we implemented all these professionals. So uh, in our mental health program, because we had to deal with Everson this year. Yeah, yeah, which was, uh, there, there had to be a lot going on there at that time. There's always a lot going on. <laughs> right. So, but yeah, yeah, just sitting there and just, you know, looking and, the, you know, because I know there's going to be some opportunities and I don't know if I'm, you know, want to do that or, or, or just kind of, you know, I've had four different people call me on not even teams call me on consulting roles doing different things see that's a fun thing to do there rick because i think that that keeps you involved but it doesn't keep you up at night right or getting that 2 a.m phone call or that 3 a.m phone call or that 4 a.m phone call and when your heart drops every time you get those calls how often does that happen how often does that happen not often you know maybe maybe hopefully never during the year but there's always you know one or two that you may get and that now you kind of hold your breath during this time of year because the players are away from the facility. Right. So that's when it usually starts to happen. You mentioned that you would prepare a book at the end of the year to present to ownership every year on what the team did and didn't need to do and things. you Well, it, it was on every aspect of the organization. Okay. Every aspect of it. Had you prepared that book this year when they, before they let you go? I, it was in the process. I have pretty much predominantly it, it done. So did they ever get to see that? No. And what would be the takeaway if I were to scroll through that and see some of your observations about the 2021 Minnesota Vikings? Uh, one or two play every game made the whole difference in the season. How many games? I think 12 that we were in on the uh, last last drive. Uh, you know, going back to Cincinnati when Cook fumbled in overtime in our opener to missing a 37-yard field goal at Arizona the next week um, to winning in overtime in Carolina to losing in overtime uh, to Baltimore uh, to, to having a lead with a minute and 30-some seconds left to go in the Detroit game up in Detroit and letting them go 95 yards or whatever the hell they went to, to beat us that I mean, it was it was a, a very bizarre world. You expect a couple of those games, but when there were 12 out of the 17 you played, that was uh, even the Thursday night game uh, against Pittsburgh where we're, you're up 29 to whatever, zero, and it comes down to the last play of the game in the end zone, and Harrison Smith breaks up the pass. You ever had a season like that, Rick? No, not that, that many games that close. And, and because these games are so close in the end, and because so many of them don't go your way, in the end, you wind up losing your job, which I think surprised some people. What was your reaction when you got called in and were informed that the Wilfs were letting you go? You know, I, I kind of had the ability to reflect back, and I have nothing but love and admiration for that organization and to have an incredible career for 16 years there. Um, and it goes beyond the wins and losses. It goes beyond uh, the job. It comes down to the relationship that you have with the people in the building, not only on the football side, but the business side as well. And, you know, just to sit back and how many times, how many funerals have you gone to? How many weddings have you gone to? How, how your kids grew up with a lot of those uh, other people in the building's kids. Um, you know, it was a, it's a family and the, the, the Wilf 
ownership is I've never experienced anything like that from a standpoint of working with such great people. And, you know, it even told me more about the Wilk family that after I was let go, uh, Mark had called me and I've talked to him twice since then, just checking. He checked up on me and that just tells you that even though I'm not there anymore, I know how important the relationships are in the people. I mean, they're basically your family because that's who you spend. You spend more time with people in that building than what you do with your own family, which is, you know, unfortunate, but that's part of the business. That's what you sign up for. Have you had any contact with the new head coach, Kevin O'Connell, or their new GM, no. Crazy Adolfo Mensa? No, nothing. No. no. No, I'm too busy doing podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> As we step back and look at this, Rick, now, if you were still the GM of the Minnesota Vikings, what do you think you would be attacking here uh, in the week of the combine and going into free agency? You know, we always had a plan in place going into free agency and, and going to the combine. I think the critical piece is with the new head coach coming in and the new staff coming in, um, you have to get in alignment with them on what they see from a personnel standpoint on your roster you have to understand they may have a whole new set of eyes on what needs need to be filled going into next year. So this whole time, you know, I know probably every team in the NFL over the past two weeks have been in these type of personnel meetings, whether it's draft meetings and, and planning for free agency, uh, salary cap meetings. I know, you know, there's going to be some decisions that have to be made in Minnesota uh, from a cap standpoint that are going to be critical decisions, but me not being in those meetings and listening what the new uh, coaching staff feels they need or what they want to do and how they're going to move that the Minnesota Vikings organization forward, that, that's hard to determine. But I know every team is going through that same process this time of year. What is the biggest, well, I guess the biggest decision they have to make regards their quarterback, Kirk Cousins, there's a $45 million cap figure. Putting on your role now as a member of the media, as an analyst, <laughs> as somebody who knows that organization, how do you envision that shaking out? What would you expect to happen there? I, I believe it's going to come down to the meetings they have with, you know, Kevin O'Connell. And uh, and and I know he's worked with Kurt, I believe, back in the past when, when he was with the Washington uh, Commanders now. Yes. Uh, so there's some type of relationship there. Uh, but they have to make a decision because there's no question about Kirk's ability and what he's done on the field. I mean, he's had, we didn't win as many games, you know, when we went back through that process and we lost to the uh, Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC championship game and case Keenan had a phenomenal year that year. Uh, and we had a, I believe the number one rated defense at the time is to add Kirk Cousins into that and bring back everybody that we were able to, to bring back, would that get us over that hump? Because twice in my career with the Minnesota Vikings, we were in the NFC championship game. We lost a heartbreaker down to New Orleans. I remember uh, we uh, down when Brett Favre was our quarterback hmm. uh, and he threw the interception on the last play. And we had a penalty before that play that got us out of field goal range. So you know, and, and then, so those are the decisions that when you're sitting in those meetings uh, with your coaches, uh, you have to decide, and they're going to have to decide because there's no question that Kirk can produce in this league. Um, but are you, are you asking yourself, is it who, why hasn't he had the same success in the win and loss column as he has in the stat column? And if you look at our season this year, some of those games he had actually, I thought, brought us back and put us in position to win some of those games. But you have to go back and analyze each of those games and make a decision on how you're going to move forward. Are you going to extend them? Are you going to let them play out this year, even though it's a, it's a big cap hit? But I also know the cap is also increasing this year. Mm -hmm. and, and Or if you're not and you're only going to play it out, or you potentially could trade him. And then, but you better have a trigger man, a quarterback in place, or what is the plan of Kirk Cousins is not there either this year, next year, or going forward. And what would that be in your mind, knowing that organization as well as you do? Uh, well, that's hard for me to say just because I don't know what, how the new regime feels, you know, 
But you know Kellen Mond and the progress he did or didn't make his rookie year. You drafted him. Is he somebody that has the chance to succeed Kirk Cousins one day if that's what the organization determines? Well, I think you find out about all these quarterbacks. Uh, You can anticipate that. You do all your research and everything you can to make those decisions. Is this guy going to be the next guy or not? But until they actually get out there and play, that's you're, you're not going to know. I mean, you can look at all the analytical things. You can look at, hey, this guy had a great, you know, year down at Texas A&M. You know, I remember watching him and how he performed uh, against Florida, and that was one of his big games. And then he continued to ascend through this pre-draft process, uh, you know, at the Senior Bowl, where he played very well at the Senior Bowl, had some great workouts. We always had our coaches heavily involved in our decision process. Mm -hmm because we felt that we did not want to bring a player in if the coach did not want him there. So we had a lot of discussions and always felt that it was extremely important to come together as a group and make the best decision for the Minnesota Vikings. And if people agreed or disagreed as we went through that process, once we made that decision, everybody had to be on board to make that player as successful as we can. So I think Kellen has a lot of upside, a lot of potential. But until they actually get out there and play, yeah. I don't think you're going to know uh, what you truly have. You brought up that NFC Championship game loss in New Orleans. Of all the losses that you endured in Minnesota, there are plenty of wins, but of all the losses that you endured, is that the one that stays with you the most of any that, of them? That one, will, that, that one kind of will never, you know, just like the Minneapolis miracle will never go away in your, you know, you go from that extreme in New Orleans and then, you know, playing the exact same team in your stadium and winning the way the way you won in that Minneapolis miracle. So those were, you know, there's so many fond memories and, and, you know, even though you hate the losses and how hard those can hurt sometime, those are things that you can't experience anywhere else, but uh, in the NFL and on those game days. But it's fair to say that the single most exhilarating win and the single most disappointing loss both came against the New Orleans Saints with the Minneapolis Miracle and the Favre interception. Yes, I would say those are the two things that were (laughs) as extreme as you can potentially get in the NFL, at least in my opinion. (laughs) Hey, Rick, I appreciate taking some time. Uh, Lots of luck in your next role, continuing to do all these podcasts. I hope you didn't overly prepare for a podcast where I kept you for 20 minutes or so and you did three hours of preparation for a 20 minute <laughs> podcast. You didn't give me a, a, anything. I would just say, hey, we're just going to sit there and talk. I didn't have anything to prepare for. So I kind of <laughs> went off the top of my head, but I appreciate it and really appreciate you having me on today. Thank you, Rick. Lots of luck with everything. Thank you. And there is the former Minnesota Vikings general manager, Rick Spielman. We wish him well in the next chapter of his life. And with that, we are off to Indianapolis for this week's combine. I'm proud to say that I've been going to the combine since the early 1990s. And it used to be that I would go with truly seven or eight other reporters. We would stand around the lobby of the Holiday Inn Crown Plaza in Indianapolis and wait for players to interview college prospects, wait for coaches to show up, And I can tell you some of those writers, Rick Goslin, John McClain, Peter King, Clark Judge. Those are some of the writers I remember. Dan Pompey. There were not many of us. And it has gone from literally eight, nine, ten reporters in attendance at the Combine to probably a couple of thousand reporters this year. And I remember in the early days being at the Combine, and I always remember sitting down with Kevin Hardy, who at the time was a linebacker from Illinois, and he was complaining to us reporters about the psychological testing that he had to go through. And there was one complicated test from the New York Giants in which we asked him, what was the weirdest question that you were asked? And he said, do you like tall women? And we said, well, you answer. And he said, I crossed off the team wrote, I like all women. And I thought that was a very good answer from Kevin Hardy. Showed that he's quick on his feet, very creative, very intelligent, very funny. It was an answer I always remember. But that was a time, a simpler time at the Combine. I don't mean to long for yesteryear and the days of old and talk about how good it was back in the good old days. But those were the good old days when a group of us had the Combine essentially to ourselves. 
It is no longer that way. It is the masses descending upon Indianapolis. Most everybody in the football universe is there this week. Every coaching staff, mostly every front office, every agent, all the college players, everyone in the media. It's like a football convention in Indianapolis in the first week of March. And so with that, we are off to Indianapolis to go attend this year's combine, which would be, I guess, my 30th or so combine, which is crazy to think about as well. But we are off to the combine for about the 30th time and going since about 1992. All right, before I let you go, I want to quickly tell you about the first draft podcast with ESPN experts, Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates. This podcast is keeping tabs on the latest in the NFL draft and is now twice a week, every Monday and Thursday. Also, check out Monday show on YouTube as well. All right, I want to thank my guest today, the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, the former general manager of the Minnesota Vikings, Rick Spielman, my great producer, Christina Buswell, her assistant, Sarah Abbott, and you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we are scheduled, scheduled, to be joined by the free agent-to-be quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, who is expected to leave Buffalo to find a starting quarterback job somewhere else. Until then, have a great week, be well, and stay safe.